Funding for this edition of Think Tank with Steve Adubato has been provided by the Turrell Fund, supporting reimagined child care. RWJ Barnabas Health. Let's be healthy together. Kane University, where cougars climb higher. New Jersey Sharing Network, the Healthcare Foundation of New Jersey, the Northward Center, PSCNG, committed to providing safe, reliable energy now and in the future. Newark Board of Education. And by Wells Fargo. Promotional support provided by Insider NJ. And by CIANJ and Commerce Magazine. Everyone, Steve Adubato. Way more importantly, we're honored to be joined by the, the Senate Majority Leader in the Senate of the New Jersey, is State Senator Teresa Ruiz of the 29th District. Senator, great to have you with us. Thank you for having me. We want to talk about education in just a moment because you know education better than most as a former chair of the Senate Education Committee. Let's talk childcare first. Our reimagined childcare um, branding will come up on the air for people to find out more. But you have initiated a package of legislation, 350 million dollars of affordable, accessible, quality child care. And I happen to know, because we've known each other a long time, this issue is personal for you as well. Talk about the legislation and why it's such a deep personal commitment for you. So clearly, when, when I entered the, the Senate, I was completely focused on, on education because I know that it's one of the greatest game changers for anybody's life trajectory and hyper-focused on early childhood from personal experience, both being in a, a child care development center, seeing that firsthand, the impact that you have for the family and to the child and their outcomes, and then as a mother in that space early days, trying to find uh, close accessibility, uh, uh, recognizing what dry uh, deserts we're in in specific areas in the state for infant and toddler seat care. And um, always understanding that our child care system is a the, one of the most important variables in the economic success of any state and this country. But one thing shifted, the pandemic hit, and uh, everybody understood immediately what our daycares and our schools and this entire infrastructure, what it meant for the workforce, what it meant for families, and what it meant for the outcomes of the state as far as reopening and getting back to normal spaces. So it elevated a conversation that so many of us have been committed to, but it really fostered this package of bills, understanding what are the gaps in the spaces, making it more affordable, uh, supporting the infrastructure that has long been left far behind, supporting uh, individuals who are working in the space that predominantly are women of color, and just really having a global conversation with the business sector, with more colleagues in the space, in, in, in making an investment that I think New Jersey is poised to continue to do. This is historic. This is the most significant childcare legislation in the history of the state. The, some, a couple of the key elements of it that will have the greatest impact on particularly women of color and socioeconomically disadvantaged communities. Please, Senator. 
So extending, lifting the child care tax credit, right? So that more families are, are, are captured in that space, fostering a program. And a lot of this, even though initiated through uh, legislation, ended up either being language in the budget and or coming out from different programming. So for instance, the Economic Development Authority of the state, making sure that they're making this investment for, um, for current uh, or, or future individuals who are going to go into the space, supporting them for facility infrastructure and its expansion. And then just talking about how do we support and create a pipeline for individuals to come into working because re um, retention is critical. We see that now in the early childhood space, and we also see it in our education spaces. How do we foster the next generation of practitioners in this space? Senator, again, because you're uh, before you came to the Senate um, and you are deputy chief of staff in Essex County to the Essex County executive, um, you're a professional in the field of child care. You were on the front lines. I believe it may have been one of your first jobs. Um, is that a fair assessment? I wouldn't necessarily call myself a professional. I was I never had a certificate in, in the state of New Jersey. I did have a wonderful opportunity to teach at the North Ward Child Development Center, and this was pre-Abbott. And so yes. what I recognized firsthand there was that I was blessed to be with four-year-olds that if, in fact, I could have taught them calculus and early algebra and Mandarin, they would have absorbed that. So what I clearly understood during my time frame of teaching that one year was that anyone who commits himself to teach should be rewarded and applauded on a consistent basis. It is the, the, the most important profession that anyone can commit themselves to and that children in those ages can truly absorb anything that you put before them. And that the earlier we get children in high quality spaces, the returns on those investment are extraordinary and the cost savings for those school systems and for the families are great. And when you think about our working families and you think about the calendar that we have still in this country, people should sit back and say, how can we really reinvent how, what we're doing? Having a calendar cycle that's set, that was set for an agrarian society just doesn't fundamentally make any sense. We have all these struggles, summertime, what do we do with our children? If you're a family that's resourced, there are opportunities that you can explore. But if you're a family that's struggling, we know what happens during the summer and that's learning loss during those spaces of when we can't support and elevate our children's learning time. So to the senator's point, actually, we'll have a separate conversation with Senator Ruiz, as I said, who knows more about education than most people as the former chair of the Senate Education Committee. She just mentioned learning loss. I don't want to, because this child care issue is too in-depth, so I'm going to stay with this a little bit longer. We had, um, and I know you know Cecilia Zalkine very well, who is stepping down as the CEO of Advocates for Children of New Jersey after 38 years there. And she was talking to us in a recent segment, Senator, where she said, look, let's face it, child care workers are not nearly paid enough and we need more government subsidies. Let's be clear, where does that piece fit in paying more for child care workers um, and where does that money come from? So, I, you know, we, we've talked about this. I think this is somewhere where a space where government can lean into. We, we have to approach this better from a common sense approach. If we know that the return on the investment in early childhood for every dollar you put in can reap you a benefit of $13, why wouldn't we make these investments in the women who are working in these spaces? You have so many women who commit themselves to these classrooms who perhaps themselves can't afford 
to send their children to the space that they're actually working in. And so, you know, we've explored some, some tax opportunities there that, that Senator Vitale has instituted in a bill. I, I think that this is, this is an exceptional conversation that we should have and continue to have during the budget process, because I think this is a space where government can lean into and make that investment. That's where the money should come from, because the return is extraordinary. Last question, Senator. You mentioned Senator Joe Vitale, the chair of the Senate Health Committee, who's an advocate who's worked shoulder to shoulder with you. Real quick, a few seconds left. To what degree do you find your male colleagues, by and large, both sides of the aisle, supportive of the initiatives that you're proposing? A few seconds, please. So interesting that pre-pandemic, it was few and far between who leaned in. We know that Senator Vitale has two beautiful young children, so it became something that was very real for him. And right. so those experiences lean into policy. During the pandemic, everyone was calling, talking about what can we do? How are we going to support the infrastructure system? Because it became more than just a uh, babysitting conversation that people had couched it for far too long. It became my business cannot open if Maria cannot come to work. She is making a decision whether to stay at home with her child or to actually show up for work. Yeah, uh, economic impacts, impact is huge as it relates to child care. State Senator Teresa Ruiz, who is in fact the majority leader of the Senate from the great city of Newark, Brick City. Senator, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Stay with us, we'll be right back. Here at Kane University, everyone gets their chance to climb higher. Michael came to Kane and found his passion for healthcare, and now he's a doctor. After Trisha graduated, her graphic design work was featured in the New York Times. Samantha is studying athletic training and finding her path through an internship with the New York Giants. Real students, real stories, real success. Cougars climb higher. Kane University. At the Turrell Fund, we know childcare creates transformative early learning experiences for young children and helps families succeed. Childcare is essential for the economy driving financial growth and sustainability across all sectors. The Turrell Fund envisions a New Jersey in which every infant and toddler has access to high quality, affordable childcare in order to grow, develop, and thrive. Our children are our future. For more information, visit turrellfund.org. We are honored to be joined by Mr. Uh, Daniel Gill, middle school teacher in Montclair, New Jersey, and author of No More Chairs. Mr. Gill, how you doing, my friend? Good. Thank you for having me. So 52 years as an extraordinary public school teacher, the thing you're most proud of is? Uh, the desegregation of, uh, helping with the desegregation of the Montclair School District, most notably this school, Mon uh, Glenfield Middle School, which is located in the south end of, of Montclair, which was underserved when I came here, and uh, which we worked very diligently to, um, to renovate, number one, and number two, to rebuild a program that would be uh, representative of good school and also school that would attract people from throughout the community. Your commitment, Dan, and we've known each other a, a long time, Mr. Gill yeah. is a former teacher of our, our son, Nick, now yes. at a major university, and was a big part of our son's life, along with thousands and thousands of other uh, sixth, seventh, and eighth graders. Mr. Gill teaches those three grades. You have one teacher that whole time. So, Dan, let me ask you this. Um, no More Chairs is significant. It goes all the way back to your childhood in New York, correct? Yes. That, it goes back to my childhood. It, it goes back to a, a birthday party. It goes back to a day that should be celebrated. 
and uh, it turned into something uh, terrible. Tell everyone who Archie was so, and why Archie matters. Yeah. So Archie matters because he was a friend of mine, and we were both invited to a a birthday party uh, by another friend. And we, in those days, used to get dressed up in your you know your tie and your jacket. And we, we, we were just so jazzed up because we were gonna go see him and we we're gonna have ice cream and we're gonna have cake and we we're gonna play games. And when we arrive at the party, um, the mother of the, of, the, of the young man who had the party opens the door and says that I could go in, but that Archie couldn't because there were no more chairs. Now, Archie was African-American. So I was like stunned at that point because I had never encountered anything, any bias like that in my life. Um, and so I assured the uh, mom that I would go home and get extra chair if I, you know, if you don't have enough chairs, but, I, but even if I couldn't get a chair, I could sit on the floor. It didn't matter to me because I was, you know, really unaware of what she was saying. And then she said, no, you know, you can go in, but Archie can't because there are no more chairs. So he has to go home. And, um, at that point it really hit me that, you know, this is, these are all these code words that people use to, uh, to uh, to discriminate against people and uh, it was a microaggression against my my good friend and a humiliation for him and we both cried huge tears it was a seventh floor of an apartment house we I remember going down the elevator and we we just had those big tears rolling down our cheeks you stay you did not stay connected to Archie did you no so we graduated from elementary school in 1960 and he drifted to another school I did too and that was one of the things that came up so since this story has become out there to lots of people. Uh, the, there was a, a producer from CBS, I think she wanted to reunite us. And so what happened was uh, she said, uh, oh, I can find anybody. And so about two days later, she she got back to me. She said, I found him. The good news, I found him. But the, the bad news is he died last year from COVID. But the good news was he did um, work in uh, social work for his life. Um, and I think I have... The one question I had for him was, does he remember that incident? I mean, was it that's just one of many incidents in his life, or was it something that he it would stand out just like it did for me? You've left an empty chair in your classroom. Right. Mm -hmm. yeah. What do you tell your students that chair means? First of all, I think that metaphors are really great for kids. You know, kids understand metaphors, and I think that uh, any teacher that teachers understands that kids grab onto things like that. And um, so I hope that what they get out of this is, first of all, you know, we talk a lot about opportunity, you know, just having the opportunity to sit in this classroom and learn is such a great thing. And that if anybody comes at that door, they, they, they deserve that. And um, number two, what it means is that we don't look at you for, you know, your exterior. We, we just, accept you and whoever you may be that's who you are and that's somebody we'd like to get to know and we want you to be feel included included and so um so from that that standpoint the, the, those those lessons sometimes i just have this chair and sometimes when they're not nice to each other i say oh we don't you don't have a chair for somebody today and it kind of like stops it right you know right there and the other thing i'd like to say was you know the the whole story, you know, I was teaching Martin Luther King. I mean, where did the story come from? And I was teaching about Martin Luther King, and, and it was his birthday. And, you know, we teach the Birmingham, Letters from Birmingham Jail. We teach 
you know, the, the March on Washington and the Selma March and all that. And I was saying, you know, this is not really not connecting with the kids. It's, you know, history. And so I thought, well, you know, I have a birthday story. And so I started to share it on, uh, on the, you know, the, the weekend of, of Martin Luther King's birthday. And I thought that that, you know, I, I, I said, this is a birthday story. And I think it kind of like connects the dots for you a little bit about what happens when people are not kind, not considerate, not open, not empathetic. What do you believe the greatest contribution you've made over these 52 years in the classroom has been? Well, I get a lot of mail from, you know, when you hang out like I do, I get a lot of emails, <laughs> which is really great. And you also have students come back and visiting you. And oh, I know yeah, that. They tell me what they're doing. And, you know, uh, you know, every teacher loves that. You know, I always say, you know, when you're a carpenter, you know what you've accomplished every day. But when you're a teacher, you don't ne necessarily know what happened. And sometimes it doesn't happen for years. But then kids come back and tell you, you know, that, that was something that you did. I think that the one thing, the message that they give me is, is it's not, it's the Maya Angela thing. It's not what you do. It's how you make me feel. So, so very often I'll say, well, what'd you learn about the constitution? Uh, not so much, <laughs> but I remember the day you uh, bent over and you split your pants <laughs> and you laughed at yourself, you know, that kind of thing. Um, I remember the day I, I had one student, uh, uh, we were writing letters. This goes back to Ross Perot running for president. And I have every time the, they run for president, I have the kids write letters. And I said to this one kid, how do you know your letter is going to be read by Ross Pro? And he says, oh, I don't know. And I said, well, you got to make it stand out. So I gave him some crayons and I said, draw on the envelope and, you know, make a decoration. And I, maybe he'll open it because it stands out. So we sent it. He got a letter back from Ross Perot. And I just saw him recently, maybe a year ago. And he said, you know what, Mr. Gill, you know what you taught me? I always have to stand out. And so those are kind of the things that I, I, I cherish as a teacher, as a, somebody who believes in young people and giving kids opportunities to, to learn, but most, most importantly, feel good about themselves. Dan, I, we don't editorialize uh, on public broadcasting when you're hosting and anchoring, but I feel comfortable saying this to you, and I know I speak for countless parents. You've made a difference. Cannot thank you enough as a parent of a kid in public schools and kids in public schools for the work that you do every day. You've done for 52 years to you and to all the public school educators out there, we say thank you. Job well done. Thank, thank you, Dan. Well, I always say, and I always say that to parents, thank you. You know, I always end every conference by thanking a parent for having faith in public schools in a time when we're being attacked for so many reasons. And in a time, you know, after COVID, where we've had so much difficulty trying to get these kids back on target. And I and I really do mean that. I I, I thank people having that that understanding that public schools are great, especially here in Montclair, which are diverse, which offer kids various kinds of opportunities um, to, to trust us to do the right thing and to help kids uh, become better students, but also become better people. That's Mr. Gill. Thank you, Dan. Yeah, thank you. You got it. We'll be right back. To watch more Think Tank with Steve Adubato, find us online and follow us on social media. Here at Kane University, everyone gets their chance to climb higher. Michael came to Kane and found his passion for healthcare, and now he's a doctor. After Trisha graduated, her graphic design work was featured in the New York Times. Samantha is studying athletic training and finding her path through an internship with the New York Giants. 
Real students, real stories, real success. Cougars climb higher. Kane University. At the Turrell Fund, we know childcare creates transformative early learning experiences for young children and helps families succeed. Childcare is essential for the economy, driving financial growth and sustainability across all sectors. The Turrell Fund envisions a New Jersey in which every infant and toddler has access to high quality, affordable childcare in order to grow, develop, and thrive. Our children are our future. For more information, visit TurrellFund.org. We're now joined by Scott Richmond, who's a regional director of the Anti-Defamation League, New York and New Jersey. Scott, good to have you with us. Thanks for having me on. Anti-Semitism on the rise. The question is, how bad is the problem and what is driving it? The ADL did an audit in this regard. Talk to us about what you found. So ADL's annual audit of anti-Semitic incidents is something we've been putting out since 1979, so for 42 years. It's uh, it's not a survey. That's typically the way that people take the temperature of anti-Semitism in this country. It's actually a compilation of ADL's incident response work. ADL is responding to anti-Semitic incidents literally every day of the week in all 50 states. And uh, that that incident response work once a year is compiled and uh, we put out this audit. Our 2021 audit, which is the most recent one, was the highest on record. We had never seen such numbers for anti-Semitism, and uh, that, that number is quadruple what it was in 2013, which is about the time when we, we began to see this rise. Listen, there are so many factors um, driving um, the horrific nature of anti-Semitism in our nation. What are the top two or three? Uh, well, certainly social media, I would put up there as uh, as a top reason. Social media is a huge driver of hate. Uh, I mean, look, social media is important. It gives people a voice. It democratizes society, but it also gives haters a voice. And uh, unfortunately, uh, that that voice is something that they have the the capacity to uh, to put out there and for it to go viral in a way that it, it never did with television or radio or or uh, uh, or newspaper. And the reality is that in, in those old form of media, you know, you needed to ask permission. Uh, a, a newspaper, a television station, a radio station needed to say, I'm okay with putting this out on the air. And typically they would say no. They would push it to the margins of society and say, this doesn't belong. But and we would social say media, no. you don't, you don't need a, to ask permission. And we would say no. And you and, would say that, of course. Right. Of, course. of course, any but, reasonable and responsible media platform would say no. To yeah. what, I, I interrupt you because there are, I'm sure there's some, some other drivers of this, but I, I want to get right to this. And it's not about Kanye West or Ye, as he is called today. And it's not about his meeting exclusively, his meeting with uh, Donald Trump with Nick Fuentes. Um, you can look up who that is. But it's also afterwards when I listen to Kanye West talk about Hitler was a I don't even I don't I'm not even going to try to paraphrase what he said but it was positive in what world is that even remotely seen as a quote point of view that is to be given a platform right it's unfortunate and uh, you know another reason I would cite is a general emboldening of extremists and extremist views this is the type of statement that in the past would never have been countenanced 
and suddenly it's been it's been given credence and we've seen that people are given permission to say things and do things that they would never have been able to in the past i mean you know you're coming to me you're coming to adl people come and ask that the 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 uh, opinion of the jewish community on these issues when somebody like ye says that he likes Hitler, that he likes the Nazis. This isn't just an issue for the Jewish community. This isn't just an issue of anti-Semitism. More than 400,000 people lost their lives uh, in World War II in the, you know, who were from this country, uh, fighting against what that stands for. This isn't just about the Jews, it's about American values. So in Charlottesville, um, with those marching and chanting, Jews will not replace us. When there is not universal condemnation of that, as if that's, again, a point of view that should be given a platform, and it's not condemned roundly and clearly by the then president of the United States and other prominent government officials at every level, but particularly national level, to what extent do you believe, Scott, that it, quote unquote, normalizes Jews will not replace us? It does. And, and you know, those statements or statements uh, any any form of hate, any statement uh, that that's made that's anti-Semitic, it needs to be condemned roundly by elected officials, by people in positions of power and influence, or and people it, who are not Jewish. People who are not Jewish, of course, or it becomes normalized. People people feel, oh, I can say this. Uh, that's this not is, me, is... and you know better than I do. I'm sorry for interrupting, Scott. When people said, as it relates to the Holocaust, well. It's not me. It's not me. It's not me. And then, yeah, you know, you know the rest better than anyone. Yeah, this is this is the way that that anti-Semitism becomes normalized, and we've seen it over the past few weeks. When I I spoke about this huge rise in anti-Semitic incidents since 2013, we're dealing with this not from a, a week ago, a month ago, a year ago, but for years. But over the past few weeks. We've seen this sort of normalization of, of anti-Semitism, celebrities and sports figures and people of influence saying things that that make it seem like it's okay to, to make these kinds of statements. And we hear it. We hear the copycat crimes. We hear people saying things that mimic what they're hearing from, from their celebrities. And you know, you take something like uh, uh, Hebrews to uh, Negroes to Hebrews, um, the 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 book, the movie that Kyrie Irving put out there. Now that was an obscure novel. It was an obscure film that people had not heard about, and suddenly it it skyrockets to number one in two. Well, Kyrie Irving's on an influencer. Sorry for interrupting again. Kyrie Irving with the Nets is an influencer. He retweets it and then says, well, I don't really know what's in it. And there are some good things. And then apologizes way too late in the eyes of most. And then what was the responsibility of every other NBA player, every other athlete, and every other person of goodwill, Scott? Everybody must condemn it. That's clear. No, uh, Kyrie, as well as everybody else. I mean, this is this was full of anti-Semitic rhetoric. It, it blamed Jews for the slave trade. It it uh, talked about Holocaust denial. I mean, this is no this is this is no uh, no arguing about this. It's unequivocal. Final question from my perspective: We talked about social media, the role of I don't know. We're not mainstream media. We're public broadcasting. We're affiliated with public broadcasting. What is our responsibility in this fight? The responsibility of uh, of media outlets is to responsibly lift this up uh, and uh, you know this issue 
and of course to condemn anti-Semitism uh, and not to give a platform uh, or too much of a platform to this anti-Semitic rhetoric. I assure you, Scott, and, and those, all those people of goodwill who care deeply about uh, the problem of anti-Semitism, we will continue with our colleagues in public broadcasting to shine a light and to have meaningful dialogue about this uh, horrific uh, trend that, that has to stop. Scott Richmond is Regional Director of the Anti-Defamation League of New York and New Jersey. Scott, I want to thank you so much for joining us. We appreciate it. All the best. You have an open invitation. Thank you. You got it. I'm Steve Adubato. Thank you so much for watching. We'll see you next time. Think Tank with Steve Adubato has been a production of the Caucus Educational Corporation. Funding has been provided by the Turrell Fund, supporting reimagined child care. RWJ Barnabas Health. Let's be healthy together. Kane University. New Jersey Sharing Network. The Healthcare Foundation of New Jersey. The Northward Center. PSENG. Newark Board of Education, and by Wells Fargo. Promotional support provided by Insider NJ, and by CIANJ and Commerce Magazine. Here at Kane University, everyone gets their chance to climb higher. Michael came to Kane and found his passion for healthcare, and now he's a doctor. After Trisha graduated, her graphic design work was featured in the New York Times. Samantha is studying athletic training and finding her path through an internship with the New York Giants. Real students, real stories, real success. Cougars climb higher. Kane University. At the Turrell Fund, we know childcare creates transformative early learning experiences for young children and helps families succeed. Childcare is essential for the economy, driving financial growth and sustainability across all sectors. The Turrell Fund envisions a New Jersey in which every infant and toddler has access to high-quality, affordable childcare in order to grow, develop, and thrive. Our children are our future. For more information, visit TurrellFund.org.